This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently and we get to know them in a different way. You don't need to, you know, tickle people and give them ping pong tables and give them snacks and stock options. You simply need to give them the information to do their job. It just comes down to being clear about what you want from people. If you have a bad culture, you're not sharing what you want. You got to be clear. Today's guest is the one and only Mike Gunnino. Mike works with, has worked with a who's who in the business world. He's a keynote speaker and a performer. Yes, you heard that right. He's a skilled improv actor who's trained at Upright Citizens Brigade and Second City. And what attracted me most to Mike is that he is gung-ho on culture. His book, Company Culture for Dummies, is now available. And we're going to go deep dive in culture and have a lot of fun. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is a, I've done a lot of podcasts lately, and this one is going to be killer. I know it. Just be mentally prepared, all right? It's going to get a little weird, but, you know, we actually might, you know, we should give a little context to the listeners. So I want to start here with Start Me Up. Now, you were the CEO of Protein Bar. You were an HR director for some big brands, and then you really got into speaking. But, you know, give me a little bit details how you became obsessed with culture. You know, it's so funny. I've spent my entire career kind of in two worlds, the hospitality world and then also as as an improv actor. And I never really thought about how those two things came together until really the last few years. But as a as a person in the hospitality industry, I started realizing that, you know, when I would go location to location as a trainer, I would go visit, you know, one location on this street and one location on this street or a location in another town for the brands I was working for. And even though it was the same parent company, What I would see is very different experiences for our guests Mm. and for our employees. And it started to connect with me that like it didn't matter necessarily or completely. It didn't matter completely what was in the handbook or what the company stood for. What mattered was what was going on within those four walls. And I started to see that that was shaped by culture, the culture of that specific location, which could be supported by like the parent company if they had specific programs and perks and benefits and rules. But at the end of the day, what happened when you know, 15 people or 50 people got together in a specific location of a hotel or restaurant or retail space, that culture is what really made the guest and employee experience come alive. And so that to me became my new obsession of like, well, we don't have to get it right from the head office. We have to get it right on Main Street. We have to get it right in each of those locations. And I just became obsessed with why does it go well sometimes and why does it not? And and how can you fuel it to get what you want? And and that was my love of culture came from those observations. It's fascinating to me because if you look at what 99% of companies, they start first on their product, then they talk about their bottom line and their profits, then they may get to customer experience and then finally say, oh yeah, we need to work on the culture. I'm guessing you think it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I think it, it really does start with that whole Uh, You know, and and I kind of use interchangeably culture and employee experience here. Mm -hmm. And it really starts with what is that and what is the guest experience? So it's like, what are we trying to, what is it going to feel like? What does it feel like to do business with us? What does it feel like to trade your hours for money here? What does it feel like to trade your, your money for products here? That matters more than anything because it will help you no matter what product you want to create. You can create any product you want later. If you've got the who we are and how we do things and, and it's consistently being done in the stories that your employees tell, 
then you'll be able to create whatever you want. You'll be able to drive into whatever market. You'll be able to launch new products because you've got that foundation that works for you no matter where you decide to go. And no matter how the marketplace shifts, you'll be able to respond to it. Yeah. Now, all right. I want to dive in a little bit here because, uh, you know, you and I both are storytellers. We speak, you know, obviously people get inspired by stories. Share with me some of the stories that when you were involved with some of these companies that their employees are telling and they're constantly either telling out to their customers that really shows what type of cultures are being built. Yeah. It's funny when I, when I work with companies and I start talking about stories, a lot of times they think, well, no, 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 that's about branding. That's about what we put on our website, the story of the company, which is mostly often just like a bunch of assertions about who they are. <laughs> and it's not really a story at all. Yeah. And what I think about is like, no, your company is actually all of the stories your employees tell. Mm. And as a manager, as a leader, as a founder of that, as an HR person in that world, you can't actually control the narrative. We think all the time that we have to control the narrative. That's almost impossible to do because the story is being created when your employee makes it up in their head. And so what you can do, the best you can do, and what we should all be aiming to do is to fuel the kinds of stories you want people to tell. And so, you know, you see that from someone's first day, you know, when someone comes in, is it like, oh crap, uh, we forgot you were coming. Remember in the interview, you told them that they were the most important person and that people are your most important asset and that you really needed them to join the team and you were so excited. And then on their first day, you act like you forgot that they were showing up. Like that immediately puts a different story in their head. They start to say, well, the story you told me in the interview about that you really needed me and you really value people, that's probably not true. The story about how you care about your employees and want everyone to have a great a great experience working here, that's probably not true. So they start to put this little seed of doubt in their minds of like, well, if those stories aren't true, what else isn't true? Oh, and then we go through and we tell them about our values and stuff. And then they're like, well, wait a second, are those true? Because now I don't know what's true anymore. And so you see story get off to a really bad start in so many companies and I see so many people not going and listening to them, mm. not going out. One of the things I start if somebody says, hey, come in and help us with culture. I just start talking to the employees and hearing how do they talk about things? How do they talk about the way decisions are made? How do they talk about difficult customer conversations? Do they say things like these customers? Oh, my gosh. Or they say, wow, this lady was really, really upset about something. And I totally get it. You know, she was she thought she bought X, Y and Z and we didn't deliver. And so I had to figure it out. Those stories are going to impact the brand more than than anything else you do. Yeah, hundred percent. It's the stories from the employees, not necessarily the stories from the owners. So, I, I you know, you got me going there on the onboarding because we're constantly thinking about <laughs> our employees as customers. And so we think about what's the first experience that a customer has with your brand? What does your website look like when they first show up to your retail place, when they call your phone, wherever it is, what is that experience? And onboarding, we started thinking about that. You know, do we have welcome signs? Do we have everyone involved? Do we have a meal for them? You know, how do you make their first day magical? And we've been working that, but what are some unbelievable onboarding stories that you've been a part of? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is is uh, the planning before the person gets there. You know, I love the idea of sending them a note before they even start. So the manager sending a text or shooting a video. It's so easy to do these little impromptu videos. Imagine it was your first, you were starting on Monday. And on the Thursday before, you got a quick video from the team you were joining that was like, hey, you know, Jesse, we can't wait for you to join the team. We have been talking about it. By the way, I'm so-and-so and I'm so-and-so and we're gonna do this work together. And you got this video welcoming you in your text message. Mm-hmm. What about when you walk in on your first day, your desk was actually set up for you. Like, it wasn't like, hey, here's an empty desk, bring a picture and sort it out. But that there was like a picture frame that they went onto your Instagram or Facebook and took and put in there of you with your dog or you with your spouse. And it was already at your desk. Imagine 
how that would make you feel. Now Imagine if talking. on your first date, isn't that cool? I yeah. mean, like these are the things I see happening and it's these little small things that people think don't matter, but it sends such a strong message that we do care. And if you're a company that says, hey, we believe in giving customers an A-plus world-class experience, well, you better be doing that for your team too, because otherwise they're going to think, eh, that only matters when it when it's easy to talk about. And so the the pre-onboarding work of setting up the desk and sending them a quick text or even a video, which is so easy to do, there's no excuse not to do it in 2018 with cell phones the way they are. That's a huge step forward. And, and I mean, it allows you to kind of like win really early because other people are not doing that stuff. They're not creating that story where the person says, wow. The other thing I've seen companies do, and I love it, I've seen companies small and companies large do it, no excuse, is when somebody makes a decision to go work somewhere, they've often talked to a spouse or a family member. And so use the emergency contact information that they filled out in their paperwork mm. to send a thank you card and like a company t-shirt or water bottle or whatever you have to the spouse or mm. the parents or the family member and say, hey, we are so happy that that Jesse's coming to work here. We know it's a decision that you probably made together. So we wanted to say thanks for supporting this. We can't wait to welcome you to the X, Y, and Z company family. 100%. Imagine that. Yeah. And you know, it's great. When we started in Savannah and it was myself, my wife, and our president was only 24 years old. We had three, <laughs> and we had three employees who were only 22 years old and we were working on a picnic table in an abandoned storage building. But what did our 24-year-old president do? He sent letters to the parents of the three 22-year-olds and said, I'm going to take care of your kids. They're in good hands. We're going to make this successful. And when one of our employees was talking about that three years later the other day, she started crying. She said, you have no idea how much that means. And, you know, I think you got to continue to think about it. No matter what culture, no matter what your brand is, everyone needs to be a culture of caring. It's just caring. And, and I think that's so important. And sometimes people miss it because they're focused on short-term gains. And I'll tell you something, Mike, we, we messed up. In the sense, we had a new employee come and I wasn't there and my wife wasn't there as owners and they didn't have the start that they should have. And I retraced my steps. A few days later, I sent a personal video, 40 minutes long, about what Fans <laughs> First is and what the name of our company is and why it, what it means to them and how they are a big part of it. And I got a call immediately after and said, you have no idea how much that means. So you can make mistakes, but it just comes down to caring. Wouldn't you agree? It comes down to caring. And there isn't anything. Sometimes there's this this like pushback that people have of like, well, we're not such a casual company. We're a serious company. Well, that doesn't mean you can't care. That doesn't mean you can't care just because you're formal. You could be a, a finance company and you're still allowed to care about people. It doesn't I'm not dictating with culture. And you're not saying in your example, Jesse, who knows what was on that video? It could have been a very formal video saying, hello, kind sir. We're very excited for you to be here. I, I doubt it. Was, Nothing's it formal with me in a yellow tuxedo. I'll tell you that. It's always. <laughs> I believe point, it. But, uh, I believe it. No, so I, there's, I'm with you. Yeah, there's there's the ability to create a sense of caring no matter what your what kind of culture you have, whether you have a formal culture, an informal culture, a goofy culture, a serious culture. That doesn't mean you can't still say hey, new person, we care about you. We've thought about you coming here and this is why this matters to us. Like that's possible no matter if you're in banking and you're very formal, whether you're in government, that would be a big win, right? If the government got this right. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you 100%. Now I, I want to move forward because I want to keep going in this. Uh, a new segment for you, Mike, this is called uh, New Radicals. If you remember the band in the 90s and they sang a song, You Get What You Give. Um, I loved that band. Oh, old school. They were fantastic. And uh, you talk so much about a radical culture. So I'm putting this into the new radical segment. What is a radical culture to you? 
Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, if we were going to listen to the radical culture and, uh, and listen to the new radicals, I think it would say, uh, they would say something like, wake up kids, we've got the dreamers disease. <laughs> and I think that a radical culture starts with a really big dream, with a really big idea of what work is supposed to be. Because uh, if you're going to go forward and you're going to create stories with your employees, the stories they tell about what it's like to work there, what the leaders care about, what, what happens when things go wrong, what happens when it goes right, stories about your product and your brand and your customer and your impact, then there's got to be a little bit of dreaming there about what you are trying to chase. And I think that all great cultures start with a really strong vision, a vision of what it's like to work here. How are we a group of people different than the group down the street? How are we as a tech company different than this other tech company? And that doesn't come from the product because everyone can have that product. It comes from saying, what are we about here? What do we, how do we make decisions? And so it starts with a really clear, in the book, I call that vision. And you start with a really clear vision of if this is all going well, if everyone's jiving and rocking and rolling and we've got this radical culture happening, what does that look like? Mm. For me, that has to include a really serious commitment to developing relationships at work. You know, there's this interesting story that that I heard recently. And uh, during the the new FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, the new head of that uh, was starting a, a brand new job and was really like, I'm going to take this job only if I can if I can lead this thing and had the assurance that like, yeah, you can go lead this thing. Yeah, you can do it. And his very first day was 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so on 9-11, one of the things they had to do was to figure out how to ground 5,000 planes that were flying over the United States. They've never done that in history where they had to land every single plane that was in the sky. And at the same time, they have no idea if any of these planes had been taken over by terrorists at this point. They didn't know what was going on. There were just so many questions. And so what they realized is the FAA didn't have a rule book for this. They didn't have a, a policy because why would you have a policy about how to land every plane? And so they were able to do it successfully. And afterwards, the FAA being the FAA said, we need to write the playbook. So we need to go in and investigate what happened here. And the reality is they never wrote the playbook because the reason that all the FAA agents and people were able to do it is because of their network. They, there was no rule to follow. There was no policy. So they had to rely on, I'm the, I'm the person in Philly. I got to connect with the person in Boston. What are you seeing? What are we seeing? How are you going to do it? What can we take? What can you take? And what they realized is that it was the connections and the relationships between all of the agents in these different cities that made it possible to land 5,000 planes that quickly and that safely. And they realized they couldn't actually write a policy. So what they did instead is they said, let's double down on improving the amount of communication and connection our agents in different cities have. And that's what they did instead of writing a playbook. And that same thing to me is what a radical culture is all about. Mm-hmm. It's investing in relationships first, because then those people will be able to handle whatever the marketplace, whatever your consumer, whatever regulations and government agencies throw at you. And that to me is where radical culture starts is with a clear dream, a clear vision, just like the new radicals, Jesse. <laughs> and then it's about doubling down on making sure that your people are very well connected and communicating with each other. No, that's brilliant. A, you get bonus points for actually singing New Radicals lyrics. That has never, <laughs> ever happened on the show, bonus points. But you are so right. You know, if we just spend time making sure people can communicate, can connect, 
all the answers will take care of themselves. But if they're not communicating, and again, this goes into a whole other conversation, which we're not going to go there. But if everything is always on Slack or email, and it's not actually human one-on-one connection, picking up the phone and talking, then you don't need necessarily to have this whole operations manual. So I love that. But I want to, I want to keep moving forward. After you sing New Radicals, you have me inspired now. All right. <laughs> In developing a radical culture, can, if you could simplify and give it you know, like three or four easy steps. You mentioned one, you know, you've got to have the clear vision. What would be a few others that a company could put into play right now? Yeah, number two is uh, creating, uh, creating very clear focus on appreciation. So one of the things I think that that radical cultures do is they are so okay with failure that people are willing to talk about what's going well and what's not going well. And one of the ways I've seen that be most effective is to create a culture of appreciation of people appreciating effort specifically, not necessarily the results, but appreciating the effort to say, oh, I see this thing that's going on and I see that thing that's going on. And there's a bunch of simple ways to do that. If you're using technology like like uh, 15.5 or Reflective or BetterWorks or Facebook at Work or any of those where people can give each other real-time feedback, make it a commitment of your management team that they are going in there and they're they're focusing on it. And it's not saying an appreciation like, thanks for coming to work today, Jesse. <laughs> um, but it's like, hey, I saw that you you did X, Y, and Z for this project that, that you didn't have to do. It really made a big difference. Thanks for going that extra effort. Mm-hmm. Guess what you get more of when you start to do that? You get more of the extra effort. Mm-hmm. And you start to create a culture that is recognizing the progress that people are making. And that's the biggest reason when I when I travel around and I talk with people at work, it's that they don't feel a great sense of of progress. So Mm. the number one thing was the dreamer, get the dreamer disease and have a vision. The number two thing is create a lot of appreciation, add it to your meetings, add it to your debriefs, add it to your project kickoffs, add it everywhere you can where people take a minute and just say, hey, is there anyone in the room or not in the room that's done something really awesome you want to point out this week? It should be like the normal mundane things that people don't do. Like, hey, I saw Jesse like clean all the dishes in the kitchen when people had left it. Mm -hmm. Like you want to appreciate that. And then the third thing that I think can make like a very, very big impact on creating a radical culture is creating a radical transparency and clarity around making progress. And you can only do that if you have really clear goals, if it's really clear, like, what are we trying to do this week, this month with this project, with this client? Uh, what is it that we're aiming for? What does it look like if we're successful? It kind of sounds like that vision thing again, if you, <laughs> if you will. But then making sense, when I talk to employees, and I've talked to thousands and thousands of employees in, in working on the book and in, in my travels as a speaker, the thing that I hear most often is, I just don't know if I'm making any progress. Mm. And I think that people hear that wrong and they think it's like a millennial thing that is like, am I making progress towards like euphoria somewhere down the road? And I think it's simple. great accent right there, by the way. That was fantastic. <laughs> I try. I try. I think it's I'm not I don't even know if the work I'm doing is helping us get the project done. Mm. And so what I find is that the third thing in a in a radical culture is that people have like ridiculous clarity mm. around what is the thing we're trying to do right now and how is the thing I'm doing moving us towards that. And so what I find is that companies that only update employees quarterly or annually on like, hey, how'd stuff go? They find where employees <laughs> are engaged. And and we're spending so much money on employee engagement and it's like employee engagement is not about uh, nap rooms and massages at lunch. While those are lovely, that's not going to engage your employees. How you engage them is you give them the information they need so that they say, oh, cool. When I pull on lever A, look what happens to the result. Let's try that again. That's where engagement comes mm-hmm. from. And it only happens if you have a clear vision, lots of appreciation of, of effort, not of results mm-hmm. only. And third, really, really, really radical transparency around 
are we making progress and making progress towards what? I love that. And if you, you know, if I actually kept track of the amount of times you said clear or clarity, I, we had to be, we had to be double digits. And I think that's such an important point. You know, it's the clear vision. It's the clear form of appreciation. It's the radical transparency of progress. It just comes down to being clear about what you want from people. If you have sure. a bad culture, you're not sharing what you want. You got to be clear. And uh, yeah. I just posted the other day on my LinkedIn, the notebook scene with Ryan Gosling. What do you want? You know, what do you want? You know, just over and over saying, what do you want? And most entrepreneurs can't answer that question. So uh, I think that's great, Mike. And I'll jump in one more thing on that. Um, the whale done culture from Ken Blanchard, where it talks about the whales at SeaWorld and how they train them by, they catch them doing things right. And when they do things right, they feed them. When they don't do things right, they turn the other way. We're so busy catching people doing things wrong that you need to create a culture where people catch people doing things right. And especially not from an owner perspective, but from the peers. You know, I heard the other day that some companies give all the people in their company different gift cards to give to their peers so they can recognize them. It's not coming from the owners. That goes even further. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's one of the things I love about all these uh, these technology tools that people are using on real-time feedback is you start to uncover all these little daily things that people are doing well because their peers are recognizing them and saying, hey so-and-so led a really, really, you know, kick butt meeting today. And it's mm. like, well, the manager wasn't in the room. So how would they have ever given him the feedback? I love it. Yeah. I think we should have a drinking game. How many times every, take a shot every time Mike says clear. <laughs> you know, now we're throwing a drinking game. Now you're a wine guy though, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I uh, used to be a sommelier and a wine trainer once upon a time. All right. That's a whole nother interview we're going to have about that because <laughs> that's a whole intense training. I watched that documentary. That's very, very impressive. <laughs> All right. So now that we've involved drinking in our show, let's move on to your Twitter game, which is our new show, our new segment, Deets About the Tweet. Now, Mike, you do tweet a lot. That's where I noticed your love for wine, which on a whole, <laughs> on a whole nother tangent, if people aren't looking at people's social media and Twitter to learn about them, they're missing, they're missing the game. Not just their customers, but also their employees. You can learn a lot by watching that stuff. But anyways... So now that I know you very well as a stalker, one of your tweets, Mike, the conversation about think like an owner should always include be an actual owner in some capacity. I, I love the thought of ownership and empowerment, but explain to me what you meant with that tweet. Yeah, you know, it, it's this idea that we keep blaming employees for the fact that they aren't engaged. We keep saying, well, employee engagement is an employee issue. No, it's because you're not engaging. You're boring or you're you're not paying attention or you're too uh, you're too uninvolved or too unconnected. And so this employee engagement issue isn't the employee thing. So telling employees to think like owners, it's like, well, you're missing the fact that they aren't owners. Like mm -hmm. they don't have the information you have. So I see people say think like owners and it's like, do they see the P&L? No. Okay, well, how would they think? Like, like, could you think like an owner if you had no idea how much money you were making, how much you were spending? No. Could you think like an owner if you actually didn't have a voting say? So if you're going to come into your building, into your, into your business and say, hey, employees, here's what's happening today. I'm going to tell you. Well, that's not what owners deal with. Owners don't walk in and be told, here's what's happening to your business. So if you want them to actually think like an owner, then you need to reframe things so that they have ownership stake. And it's great if they actually have some actual financial ownership in it, but I don't even think you need to go that far. You just need to start giving them the same information that ownership has. There's this, there's this wonky idea, you know, that, that the people at the top of the org have a bunch of information about the, the marketplace and the industry and the sales and the cost. And then the people on the front lines actually doing the work have all this information about what customers want, what customers complain about. And both sides kind of complain about each other because neither side is talking about 
the information. They don't understand each other. Yeah, they don't don't understand each other. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm 100% 100 on board with that because we're actually going to do this summer where we're going to be uh, we're going to become fans for a day and we're going to jump on the front line. So all the people are going to become to have that experience. And I'll tell you, Mike, the other day we just opened our books for the first time. Imagine 22 year olds, 23 year olds seeing a multi-million dollar business and seeing all the numbers and and looking like, oh, wow, you pay that much in taxes? Oh, that's the debt payments? Oh, that's the capital costs? Oh, wow, there's really not a ton left at the end. I never knew that. And then yeah. if you want them to think like an owner, you got to see it. As scary as it is for an owner to open up the, the books, it's worth it every, every time, I, I think. It absolutely is. And you start to, and it's funny because you start to be able to, um, you start to be able to get the engagement that you were looking for in the first place. Because now people say, oh, I understand what we're doing here. I understand when I do X, Y, and Z, what happens. Okay, I'm seeing how it all fits together. And then engagement comes along. You don't need to you know, tickle people and give them ping pong tables and give them snacks and stock options. You simply need to give them the information to do their job. Yeah, exactly. Not everyone needs that. They just want to have fun. When people can have fun in their job and it doesn't have to be a ping pong table, foosball table, but they just enjoy being around people and laughing and joking, that's, that's real fun in my opinion. All right. You got me yeah. going. I'm going to start drinking now. See, now I you already it. got me going, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this. All right. I want to go to another segment that's brand new. This is called improv improvement. All right. You're an improv guy. I did improv for one semester in college. It was very interesting. What improv games can companies use to improve culture and the employee experience? Ooh, this is so good. I wrote a whole chapter, by the way, in the book. Uh, it was really funny because, you know, in company culture for dummies, it was like, well, why are you um, why are you uh, writing this chapter about improvisation? And I was like, oh, well, let me tell you why I'm writing this chapter. <laughs> so there's a whole chapter around improv at work and how it helps. You know, the biggest I think the biggest the biggest activity, I would say, because it's, it's the thing that so many groups struggle with is probably two. There's the idea of yes and which um, allows you to. Uh, listen. So in Yes And, in, in, uh, and you know this from your improv days, Yes And is kind of the cornerstone of improv. So it's the ability to, to just accept what someone else has offered. So say that you're in a meeting and somebody says, well, we should do A, B, and C. How many times in those meetings do people say, well, that would never work. You know, we can't mm-hmm. do that because of this. Or they do the very like nice, but still passive aggressive version, which is yes, but of like, oh, great idea, Jesse, but we can't do that for all these reasons. So yeah, <laughs> we're going to just not talk about that. You only get so many times, by the way, as a leader, where your employees just stop bringing ideas. It goes back to that whole thing again of like, I want employee engagement. It's like, okay, so when you're in a meeting and they bring up an idea that you don't like, what do you do? Well, I tell them no. Okay, great. That's why they stopped being engaged because <laughs> they thought I can't, I'm not throwing out any ideas. This is risky for it, me. I'm going to put out a bad idea. It's so simple. It's so obvious, but people don't even notice when they're doing that. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, so that's the biggest one is in your next meeting, think about how can I say yes and. It doesn't mean, by the way, this is the big, the big, uh, the big fear people have. It doesn't mean you have to do whatever people say. Just because I say yes and X, Y, and Z, it doesn't mean I have to agree to do what you said. So if you say like, hey, we should, uh, we should, you know, close the whole company for a year. Yes. And we can, <laughs> we can explore like, well, how would we do this? And how could we do that? And what could we do instead? And the reality is if you do a couple cycles of that, you might end up with a more interesting thing than you had in the beginning, mm-hmm. but you could never have gotten there. You never would have opened up the conversation if you didn't say yes. And, and the, the second little one, so that one I see can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. The second little one, I think, and even just becoming aware of how often you say no is helpful. So even if you're like, oh, 
I never got really good at saying yes and, but you just became aware of how often you say no or yes but. Sometimes that's super helpful because it's this great eye-opening mirror exercise. And the second thing I would say really quick on improv, the number one issue I see so much uh, in the luxury I have of getting to go observe companies and people work together is people really struggle at listening to each other. Mm. <laughs> and so one of my favorite little activities, and I just actually shared this with someone today in a, in a coaching chat, was make it your objective that you are not going to start speaking until the other person has finished. And we all think, well, that's what I do anyway. But it's like, not really. We usually speak to interrupt versus uh, speak to, uh, we listen so we can find the place to interrupt. I mean, instead of listening to really understand. And so the little trick, the little way to like make this a game is to say, I'm going to start the first word of my sentence in response to you using the same letter as the last word in yours. So for example, if you said, welcome to the show, you said that to me, Jesse, mm -hmm. I would then say, well, the last word in your sentence was show. So I'm going to start mine with an S and I would say, so happy to be here. Now, what's interesting, this is the biggest like mind messing thing is when you don't interrupt people, they just keep talking because we're so used to being interrupted. It's the best activity is that listening one. I'm just working on my listening right now. I'm like, how'd I do? <laughs> it was perfect. Uh, it was perfect. I was, I was actually trying to think of what word could begin with O there so I could join into it. It's like, oh, Mike. Yes, yes. and? <laughs> that would work. All but those, right. are the two, those are the two activities I recommend to get started with. No, it's great. It made me feel terrible about this whole interview because I was like, I have wanted to interrupt in certain things and join in on the conversation. So now I'm going to go slower as we go into our lightning rounds, which makes zero sense. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Mike, it's time for our first game, Truth and dare. Just do it. What would you like? <laughs> I'll take a dare. All right. Usually I have people sing, but Mike, you have said so many different voices and tones that I've already heard. So here's my dare. One celebrity impersonation. Oh, gosh. Or you can do any type of person. If you don't want to do a celebrity, I'll, I'll give you up the hook. You can do any type of person. I know you already got a few in you. One celebrity. Oh my God, I can't even think of a celebrity. Who do I know how to do? I want to do the celebrity. I want to take this challenge. Um, I want to take this challenge. I'm thinking of who I can be. I feel like I impersonate celebrities all the time and now I can't think of any. Well, uh, this one's going to be really unpopular. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> Being on a show today is huge. Being in this room with this man who believes in everything, and he and he, you know, he tells me I'm the very best. It's the very best show he's ever done. He told me this is the best show. It's it's on the ratings. It's in the ratings. You can see that. But this opportunity is huge. How did I do? That wasn't so good. It, it's huge. You probably had to be a little deeper. It's it's huge. This is opportunity. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it was I needed to get to New York. I need to I need to work on my New York accent. It's huge. We got a problem. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna go. That's a whole New York accent. All right, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna name that person to keep some of the listeners. All right, so now for a truth. Okay. Okay. What's holding you back from success right now? Way to go for the jugular, Jesse. <laughs> after, I... after a celebrity impersonation, what else would I do? After a failed celebrity impersonation, you know what? That's what life is. Life is improvisation. You fail at your celebrity impersonations. So you can do them better next time. So what is holding me back right now? You know, one of the things that I really want to get started this summer is I want to start my own, uh, my own web series called Mic Drop. 
And the idea of mic drop will be that it's, see, get it, Mike, and microphone, Mike Canino. And so the idea is that it would be mic drop, the last word on, and then, or the final word on, and then the on would be dot, 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 and whatever the topic was, whatever we were talking about that day. And so that is something that I think if I got it out there, I think if it was out in the world, that uh, that it would resonate with people and it would start to build, you know, an audience that shared some of my kind of my silly sensibilities about how the world of work and the world of presenting ourselves to people should be. And I think that I should have started it a year ago. And uh, and I think that not getting it started has held me back in some ways. So that's that's one of my goals this summer. And I know that if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it again in a year. You know, you don't really regret things in life that that you did. You regret things you didn't do. And what I love about this, as soon as I heard that, I was like, mic drop, I tune into that. And, you know, <laughs> the thing is you do and then learn. I think, I mean, we all want to learn, learn, learn. But once you start doing, you learn. And so I would suggest, I wouldn't say this summer, I would say get the book out, then get this out. And your your uh, your viewers and your listeners and your followers will grow completely. So that's an awesome idea. So I am 100% supportive that just know that all right we're going to move some other fast segments and then get to the ninth inning so one minute here mentor minute have you had a mentor that's guided you in your success and how so Ooh, wow yes i've had so many great mentors i would say my very first mentor uh one of my very first mentors was uh this guy named sean Ryder who was the director of training at Potbelly when I was a manager and chose to make me, uh, chose to pick me to become a training manager. And then that led me to becoming a director of training later. And one of the things he told me that I've never forgotten, and it's a huge part of, of how I view the world is that uh, whenever I was doing orientations for new team members, he said, you have to make it about them. You have to make your presentation interesting and about them and how they can win here versus being about our history. I have taken that lesson and applied it to pretty much everything I've done, including writing this book. Mm, it's about them. It's not about you. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Marketing minute. You know, what is the best thing you've done to grow your brand? Ooh, you know, the best thing I've done to grow my brand is to be, I'm, I'm so comfortable being myself. I'm so comfortable. This is how I am all the time. If we were just at my kitchen table having wine, this is how we'd be talking. And, um, I might've done a better impression if I had had some wine, let's be honest. <laughs> next, next time. <laughs> but, um, but I think the biggest thing and the recommendation I can say is that I've been so willing to be myself. I've been willing to make fun of myself. I've been willing to have fun. I've been willing to share the times when I stub my toe and I do something silly. And I think that that, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say authenticity because it's so overdone. This authenticity thing it's where real. people are like pouring their yeah. I'm just I'm being honest and I'm being me, and that has luckily for me resonated with so many people, and I've been able to do it in a way that I feel good about myself. All right, beautiful, I love it. Two more quick ones before the ninth inning. Uh, I love you. Honestly, you're teaching, speaking, you're speaking. What would three tips that you would give to be a great speaker? Ooh, great speaker. One is don't write down every single word you want to say. It's very hard for a normal person who's not an actor to be able to work off a 100% written down word for word script mm. and deliver it in a way that feels real. Now, you should have a lot of it written down. You should have your open and your close carefully crafted. And the whole message should be should follow. So it's very clear what's going on. So I'm not suggesting winging it at all. You need to plan. You need to prep. You need to rehearse. But I think that having a 100% script that you're reading word for word is a big, uh, is very hard for people who aren't actors. So I would say, uh, live your script. Don't, uh, don't force yourself to write it down. Number two is 
to get really, really good at breaking the fourth wall and connecting with the audience. The fourth wall in acting is that wall between the, the stage and the audience. Mm. And so break that so you can really connect with people. And and you can do that with eye contact. You can do that with the stories you tell. You can do that with smile, all kinds of ways. But but try to really, really see those people, see their faces, see them thinking. And number three is to really make sure, it goes back to that thing I just said, really make sure that you understand why is this talk or this speech interesting and useful to this audience and how can I make sure that I highlight the problem they might be facing that I think we should re-examine and look at and solve via this talk. Oh, I love that. I was thinking number two about breaking the fourth wall. During a lot of my speeches, I come off the stage with our Dolce and banana underwear. We actually made underwear with a giant banana on the crotch and I throw it into the crowd. They don't know it's underwear at that point, so they go crazy for it. And then I reveal that it's underwear. So that's a, uh, if you ever want to break the fourth wall, throwing underwear in the crowd gets a good response, Mike. So. I need to. I'm gonna. I need to be in your audience. I want some new banana underwear. <laughs> it's a big seller for us, man. You got to check out the commercial, the Dolce and Banana. We did just the Italian music and everything. It's ridiculous. You right. did. I'm gonna look it up. Oh, it's all the top. All right. Simple life. Last question on your personal brand, then going to the ninth inning. The simple life. I am obsessed with keeping it simple. I have a whole chapter in my book about it. Steve Jobs said, "If you think keep things simple, you can move mountains." What are you doing to simplify your business and life? Ooh, I love it. You know what I'm doing? Uh, so far, I've I've been really talking about culture and this, and I talk about speaking, and I talk about all these things, and it's been very hard for people to bundle. And so one of the things I'm doing is simplifying it because I'm ultimately all about creating, fueling, and leveraging stories to move the people that you that you need to move, whether that's people in an audience or people in your company. And so I'm really simplifying my message to be around uh, still culture and still performance and how we perform and create experiences, but really around this idea of it is through the stories that we inspire other people to tell. That's where that's where things come from. So I'm simplifying all the messaging to be all about Mike Ganino is all about how to fuel the stories that other people tell about other people tell about you. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. All right, Mike, it's the ninth inning. Last few segments here. I've been grilling you with some crazy questions. It is time to flip the script. So now you are the host of Business Done Differently, and you can ask me any one question. I love it. So Jesse, you've had this amazing experience of being a speaker, being an author, being invited into companies, having your own company that, by the way, I know uh, has had zero turnover of employees, which is amazing. So kudos on that, by the way, my brother. That is very amazing. And the thing I want to ask you, because you've seen so many different uh, different worlds, is what is the number one thing that companies should be doing in order to be different? You know, this whole show is about is about leveraging your difference and, and making your difference. And you know, we're talking about dolching banana underwear getting thrown at people. Then I want to hear from you. What is your biggest piece of advice to to tell people how to start being different? It starts with a question. Uh, Mike, if you go around when you're working with these companies and you ask this one question to them, what makes you stand out? What makes your business different? You'd be surprised on the answers. 99% of them, they say, oh, we're a little better on price. We're a little better this. We're a little better that. That's not different. That doesn't make them stand out. So I, I help people get a realization that you need to be the only. If you really want to get into that, the blue ocean strategy that's in the great book, and you're not battling against everyone, we don't focus on our competition, Mike, because we're the only baseball team that has the banana nana senior citizen dancing, the break dancing first base coach. Our players do choreographed dances. We put on a circus and a baseball game breaks out. So that's what I try to work with companies on doing. And that's why we don't have to market. You know, you talk about stories. I think this is so brilliant. Great concept. 
What is the story of your company? If your story of your company was that we just started in 1946, we're 80 years old and -and so-and-so, you got to think like a reporter. So this would be some advice here. Think like a reporter. Why would someone want to do a story on you? And if you don't have something compelling, if it's not unique, it's not different, then it's going to be very tough to market your business and thrive. So hope that that. that gives you something. I love that. I love the... I love the very specific example of what what would they report about you? Yes. Love that. What's that really story? cool. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. Now, question time. We'll go right from there. If you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. So I'm fascinated. What are some of the best questions you're asking right now? Ooh, you know what I'm really into right now? I'm into uncovering all these stories at work. Um, so helping companies fix culture and think about culture by examining the stories people tell. So some of my favorite ones are... When you went home on your first day, so this is something you can do with like a group of new hires. When you went home on your first day and you called, you know, mom, best friend, bae, whoever you call, and bae, like your honey bae, not uh, Beyonce, who's the queen of the world right now after COVID. I give her calls on Wednesdays usually. Wow. Amazing, amazing thing. But um, but uh, what was the story you told? What did you tell them about your first day? What did you say about about this company, this group of people? That's one of the questions I really love because it uncovers a lot about first impressions that you're making with them. Another question that I really love is, um, when did you find yourself struggling between doing the right thing for a customer and doing the right thing for the company? Mm. Love that one because it starts to uncover real values of like, well, I should have done this for the customer, but the company says I should do this. So if you're a company that says you care about customer experience and your employees are struggling between do I do what's right for them or do I follow something for the company, then you're then you have a problem. And of course, you're going to have engagement issues. So I love that one. And then the last one that I'm loving right now around questions is. When you think about this company, I ask this to leaders a lot and HR folks, when you think about this company being on someone's LinkedIn, being on someone's resume, what do you want this chapter of their life to have been about? How do you become a great place to be from? Because no one's going to work here forever. But what is the legacy you're creating? So when somebody looks at someone's LinkedIn profile or they look at their resume and they see that they worked here, what's that all about? Mm. Love that. Those are great questions, my friend. I think we need to keep bringing that up because not many people are asking enough questions. You know, they're just going about it. business. So that's great. All right. I want to keep moving. Mike, we could go for hours. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to c- c- contain myself here. Now that's what I call service. The best service experience that's really stood out for you recently from a customer experience. Ooh, I have, I have, you know what? I've had this relationship uh, with a company in Ann Arbor, Michigan called Zingerman's yes. for uh, I don't know, 15 years now. And I last fall, I got to be part of their speaker series. So it was so funny for me as a bucket list moment because they have a Zing Train, which is the company that teaches all the Zingerman's philosophies. So you can go there and they'll train you on service and leadership and management and, and all these different things. And so Zing Train is their, their training and their consulting side of things. And I had this relationship with them where I had gone to every workshop over the years when I was growing my businesses and running my brands. And so this last year, they invited me to be part of their speaker series, which is where they bring in outside speakers and they host uh, like a, you know, two or three hour event at Zing Train, but they're bringing people from outside the community. So I had a total bucket list moment when I got to present at Zing Train because it was like, uh, this has been something on my list I would have loved to have done. So very cool. And what I'm going to say is that I'm amazed at the way they treat their their participants. So the people that come to the workshop, um, the people that are coming to that, I'm just 
one, they treated me like gold as a speaker coming in. They, they, you know, when I got to the hotel, there was a little gift bag waiting mm. for me with a card signed by everybody. Uh, they had everything taken care of. I felt like a total rock star. But I watched the way that they were treating the people who are their guests. So mm. they serve amazing food. So they're getting food from the other Zingerman's businesses, the bakery and the coffee place. So they're serving all these artisan foods that are really lovely. The name tags are high quality. The rooms don't feel like boring training rooms. They have they have uh, fun art and sayings and cool paintings and things on the wall. And so I'm just, the the workbooks that they give you are these really, really classy workbooks uh, that are that are great and useful. And they've thought about even like what is on each page so that when you're using the page, it's like, here's where you take notes. This is a section for you to write takeaways. This is a spot for you to do doodles. There's a doodle section on every page. <laughs> and so I'm blown away by, by that organization every time I interact with them. And I, like I said, I just interacted with them not that long ago when they brought me in to speak about the power of yes and, by the way, for business, how to use yes and thinking to improve your, your company culture and leadership. And so I was blown away yet again. I've had, you know, a 15 year relationship with them. They blow me away every time. It kept me coming back. And now as a as a vendor with them, uh, it blew me away, not only how they treated me, but how they treated the audience that came to see me that day, because they just think of everything. Attention to every detail. And, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and maybe what people may think about you, but in details for your customers, employees, sweat the small stuff. And it looks like Zingerman's. <laughs> I actually, in front of me, I have the guide to great service from Zingerman's right in front of me right now. So yeah. you know exactly what you're talking about. All right. Tool time. What is the most important tool you have in your business toolbox? Ooh, what is the most important tool? You know what? I'm going to I'm going to cross promote here. <laughs> so you had Neen James on an episode in uh, April, I think, or yes, March. Yes. So you had Neen James on. She was talking about her new book, Attention Pays. And one of the things I loved about her book is this uh, part about systematizing your attention. So all the little things that we want to do for people, all the little moments where we want to remember to follow up or we want to remember to send a, a video after an event to the planner to say thank you or you know, you want to remember just to like call grandma or send a postcard when you're in different cities. All of those things, she has this chapter in her book about how to systematize that. So the things you really want to do that you really care about, don't lose focus, that you don't lose track of them in the moment when you're busy. And so I'm a big proponent of systematizing all of those things, not because it's, and it's not inauthentic. It's, it's what you want to do. It's just that we get busy and we forget. And so I use a tool called Contactually. And it is a it is like a customer relationship manager on like steroids mm. where it really organizes like all of my different follow ups, all my different check ins. And it just allows me to do the things I really want to do, even with the busy schedule. It reminds me of all the little touch points I'm supposed to have with not only not only the clients that I speak with and uh, the events that I'm speaking at, but also just like people in my referral network who are important to me. And I want to remember to keep them top of mind. So I call them people who I think are just really cool people. And I want to I want to, you know, be alert to like things that are going on for them. And so that tool for me has allowed me to really up my game in being a much better connector with with people I want to stay connected with. Love it. Beautiful. All right. Final two things of the lightning round, our favorites and our final four. So favorite right now, favorite part of your morning routine. Favorite part of my morning routine, I am uh, meditating every day and mm. I found that to be super cool. I, I got really into it. Um, I got really into it you know, a couple of years ago with like transcendental meditation. And, you know, I got so complicated for me that I kind of stopped doing it. And so I've started using an app called Headspace and it just, you know, it's like seven to 10 minutes a day and it just gets me grounded and chill. And it's not all about like, you know, zinning out. It's just taking a moment to kind of like clear the clutter. Love it. Favorite restaurant? 
Ooh, favorite restaurant, hands down, always in my life. I have had this favorite restaurant for 20 years. It is uh, Rick Bayless's Frontera Grill in Chicago. It's uh, it's an amazing place. The food is rustic. The service is amazing. They actually, I just saw Rick recently talking about uh, gender diversity in the restaurant industry. And uh, I love that they really focus on making sure the company is like 50-50, that everyone's represented. I love that place. They get culture right. They get food right. And they make a mean margarita, Jesse. Ooh, love it. All right. Favorite book that stands out. Ooh, favorite book that stands out. Ah, That's tough. This one is so hard. You, if you saw my background right now, I'm covered in books right now. My favorite book that stands out is, you know what? I'm going to say it's Michael Port's book called Book Yourself Solid because I just love how simple he makes the idea of marketing and sales and creating a really standout brand. Love it. All right, now magic moment. This magic moment. You know, your picture. We're going to be playing the song right now. That magic. This magic moment. What is one moment you'll never forget? My very first, my very first paid speaking gig, I'll never forget because to me, it was a culmination of like 20 years of working in an industry and building up a brand that was meaningful um, over those years. And then, and then, you know, even when I was working within, within groups and, and bigger companies, building a brand that meant something to people so that when I went out on my own, it was meaningful. So my very first paid speaking gig uh, was kicking off a conference in Charleston, actually. And I remember it feeling so good, not because I was like on the stage finally and getting paid for it. It was afterwards, there was like a cocktail event. I was a kickoff speaker for a three-day conference, which I'm hosting this year. I'm the MC. I was the MC. So three years ago, I spoke. Last year, I was the MC of the whole event. And this year, I'm MCing it again. It's um, Snag a Job's big conference in Charleston called Our Minds at the, at, uh, in April and May. Awesome. And so I'm uh, the MC there. And it was afterwards when I went and I was hanging out at the cocktail reception and meeting people. And they said, you know what we loved is that we love that your ideas around culture and leadership were simple and practical. And I can see myself immediately going back and using them to make a difference at work. And that Ooh. to me was really freaking cool. And yeah. the fact that someone paid me to talk about it was really special to me. Well, there's that, that validation, that encouragement. I mean, I'll never forget my first page speaking appearance as well. It's like, all right, you know, you've worked so hard and now people see a value in it. And uh, yeah. wow, that, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. All right, Mike, we're here. You've made it to the final four. All right. Through all the craziness, <laughs> you have officially made it. Number one here, what have you done to stand out in business and in life? Well, I think I think the biggest thing I've done to stand out is just to be really, really willing to be myself all the time, like to, to share the to share all the parts, to share all the realness, to share all the things. And I think that that resonates with people. So I think for standing out for me, it's been to just be unexcusably myself and being okay, being that comfortable with people. I love it. Now, if you were to give some other advice to someone to stand out in business and life, what advice would you give? You know what? It's going to, it's going to sound so similar, but I'm going to say, do the same thing is go do an exercise where you really start to understand when people uh, talk about me, when they go home or when they, when they go, you know, tell another business and they say, Oh, you got to work with, uh, you got to work with Mike. What is it that they said after that? Mm -hmm. What was the reason they said, because we love to share things that are special to us. We love to share things that are meaningful to us. We love to share things that we think are going to make us look good. So if someone else was sharing you, what would they say about you? Mm -hmm. And then you should double down on presenting that side of yourself to everybody as much as you can. The, for me, the thing that I hear all the time is that my energy is really contagious and my ideas are very practical and, and easy to put into play. So I've doubled down 
on making sure that I present that side of myself as frequently as possible because it's the thing that resonated with people. Oh, I love it. And that energy, I feel you, man. Energy is so, <laughs> so important. That's why I say yeah. it could be dangerous. You put two of us together. All right. Our final two here. Best advice you've ever received. Best advice I've ever received. These are really the the cutting questions here, Jesse. Mike, I don't mess uh, around. I, I do jokes and I get some seriousness out of this. All right. Yeah, yeah. This is the full spectrum. We're doing all emotional, <laughs> all emotional levels here. So I would say the best advice I've ever received is probably to be really, really. Here we go again. If you're doing shots. Get your shot glass ready, friends. For real. Uh, if you're if you're driving, don't do shots. By the way, that's <laughs> not endorsed. Um, so I think it's the idea of getting really, 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 really clear about what you want. I remember my grandma used to say to me, "We used to work together at Pizza Hut." By the way, um, yes. my grandma, my sister, my uncle, my grandpa, we all worked at the same Pizza Hut in this little tiny town in Arizona. <laughs> and um, and I remember my grandma when I was you know getting ready to go to college and. And uh, I dropped out of college eventually to, to try to become an actor and and then ended up a flight attendant because uh, I wasn't getting any gigs and I needed money and insurance. So I became a flight attendant. And I remember in that process of of thinking about leaving acting and going into being a flight attendant and realizing that maybe it was just a, a short term layover. <laughs> as a, that's a funny pun. <laughs> um, I remember my grandma saying to me, you can do any of these things. Any of these things are fine. And it is always fine to have a I'm going to do this for right now choice, as long as you're really clear about the long game, as long as you're very clear about where you hope this takes you so that you don't get lost in the day to day of whatever you choose to do tomorrow and you stop focusing on where you wanted to head. So for me, that's probably the most valuable advice that I've ever received. That's brilliant. All right. And final question. That's another tough one. How do you want to be remembered? This one isn't as tough for me because of my answer to the first one there. The way I want to be remembered is somebody who made people feel like there was hope. So there was hope that they could do stuff different, that they could present a different side of themselves or their business or their team. Uh, So a little bit of hope that like, hey, I've got some strategies, some simple little things I can go do that seem reasonable, that seem triable, that seem figure outable, and I'm going to go try them. So I gave them a little hope. And then the other part is that I gave them um, a little bit of fun. I love having fun. And I think that there's no reason that in business and life, we can't have a little bit of fun as we get big stuff done. So I want people to remember that I gave them hope by giving them simple things they can do to get better. And then I help them have a little bit of fun with it. Mm. Well, you certainly are doing that. And you did that on the show, man. We, we told stories, we had new radicals. You mentioned pizza hut. We had improv celebrity impersonations, a potential drinking game. And we talked a lot about culture and we got clear radically clear on what matters most. My friend, you have been an unbelievable guest on Business Done Differently. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more? And you may have a a giveaway as well, correct? Yeah. So you know what I did? I put together a little giveaway for you. So if you go to mikeganino.com slash be different, so mikeganino.com slash be different, there's a a quick little, give you a little rundown of some of the fun stuff we talked about here. But also, there's a, a little video course you can take on how to start unearthing and fueling different stories at work. So if you want to start thinking about this culture stuff, you got to get started with understanding what are the stories you tell yourself? What are the stories your team is telling? And what stories do you want to tell in the future? And there's a little three-part video course uh, that's there for you for free. Just a little like, hey, here's some stuff to think about to get started with culture. So that's all at mikeganino.com slash be different. Mm, awesome freebie. And the book Company Culture for Dummies now available. Mike, thanks for being a rock star and being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Business Done Differently. Our goal is simple 
to inspire you to think different, have fun, and stand out in business and in life. For more ways you can stand out in your business, visit findyouryellowtux.com and you can get the Yellow Tux Handbook for free with the six steps to stand out directly from the Find Your Yellow Tux book. Finally, a big shout out to Podcast Pilot for producing the show and making all the magic happen. For questions, ideas, and feedback, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot a note to jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.